welcome to Can I Butt In, the Bowel Research UK podcast, where we welcome bowel cancer and bowel disease patients, researchers, healthcare professionals and carers to butt in and share their experiences. We're picking a topic every episode and getting to the bottom of it. I'm your host, Sam Alexandra-Rose. I'm the Patient and Public Involvement Manager at Bowel Research UK. And as a patient myself, I'm excited to bring more patient and researcher voices into the spotlight. Hi everyone, today I'm joined by Simon Boddis and today we're putting the world to rights in regards to cancer language. How do we talk about cancer as a society, in the media, to our loved ones and what impact does that have? So Simon has mainly worked in the public sector, joining the Home Office around 30 years ago as a forensic psychologist. He's now Chief Executive of User Voice, a charity established to give those with lived experience of the criminal justice system a voice in service delivery and policy. Simon was diagnosed with bowel cancer in 2020 and has a permanent stoma. I'll let Simon tell us a little bit more about his story in just a second. So, Simon, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sam. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, thank you. You're good. Um, So I gave a bit of an introduction for you there, but... um, Tell us a little bit more about yourself and and just how you came to be sat here talking to me today. Yes, um, <laughs> I was going to say journey, but that's one of the words we might discuss. Later. <laughs> yes, <laughs> how appropriate that is. But um, so yes, like you said, I had a I had a a, a major operation after I was diagnosed with um, bowel cancer and had a permanent stoma. The uh, cancer has now spread to my uh, lung and I had uh, half my left lung removed earlier this year in 2023 um, and I hadn't given much thought for then to the language around cancer and um, so but but after you've been diagnosed with cancer you do think about the impact it has on you and reading the media and things and so I started reading things and the stuff I was reading didn't resonate in any way it felt unhelpful felt um that it wasn't supportive none of the other people i knew who had cancer used the same sort of language so it was all it all seemed a bit strange and we're going to talk about how i think it affects people but it just seemed to misrepresent the truth of what cancer was really like certainly to me and i suspect to other people as well hence getting in touch with you and suggesting that it would be quite interesting to have a, a conversation about the language the media language around cancer yeah, I, I agree. I think that a lot of people have uh, similar issues with some of the language um, that is used in the media. And I know that there is some specific language that springs to mind for me when we're talking about language that's used in the media. But what what language, what's kind of the first thing that you think of when we're talking about the language that the media uses to describe cancer or people with cancer? Um, it's usually, um, there's a love of metaphors, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not metaphors that are at all appropriate. We can talk about there are metaphors later, but it tends to be military type or sporting type metaphors like battle, like, uh, fights, like, um, losing the fight or being a warrior or war and, and those sorts of strong words and they just don't resonate. And I, I did actually, when I first had cancer, I did think maybe that was a language to use myself. So I did think about fighting my own cancer, but then it just seemed so illogical. How do you fight your own body and what does it actually mean? So, yeah, I just just didn't mean anything to me. And actually it started making me um, quite cross because it was almost victim blaming. Because if you weren't strong, you didn't battle hard enough and you got and you got iller, then somehow it was your fault as a character weakness. And that, which is why I think the language is really important, that it doesn't make you as a cancer patient someone who then is blamed if you get iller, because all those words imply that somehow you haven't got a strength inside of you to, to carry on the battle, to fight. And I think all of us who have had cancer at times just know how awful it is. And it's not a battle, it's not a fight, it's, you're just living with cancer. And yeah, so that, that was it really. Yeah, that that's what sticks out to to me as well. As soon as somebody says oh, language used in the media to to describe cancer, I think oh yeah, that's the 
that's the battle language it's the the war the warrior and they they lost the battle and they're fighting they're a fighter all, all of this sort of stuff which yeah doesn't really resonate with me either and I suppose I should say that some people will like this language I know a lot of people don't um, but I know that some people may find it empowering to describe themselves as a fighter or being strong or being a warrior and if that's if you're listening and, and that's you you know more power to you I think that that's if you're using that language to describe your own experience that's great I think that when it's used so universally by the media and it, it just seems to be the, the go-to language doesn't it that that people use now I think can we have something that's a bit more neutral otherwise I feel like we're projecting this one image of cancer onto everybody's experience when it, it may not resonate with everybody and everybody might not feel that way yeah I, I couldn't agree more actually and and you're quite right I, I mean I it, people who have cancer are fully entitled to use whatever language and whatever visions they have about their cancer and I have absolutely no problem with that but what I do have an issue with is the language that's used by the media because I just don't think it helps. It doesn't represent the truth. And like I said before, there is an assumption there that if you somehow don't get better or if you get iller, you, you're, it's your fault because you weren't strong enough, you weren't resilient enough, you didn't battle hard enough, you didn't do that. And um, just the last week, for example, I've, I've been just idly looking at the Daily Mail is the biggest selling newspaper in this country and every day bar one there's been a story about somebody battling with cancer every and day every day bar one so it's it's very common parlance and that's actually across the media sphere actually the, the bbc uses it the guardian uses it you know it's, it's very common currency across the media and so i just it would be nice to have that addressed a bit and changed a bit to reflect our reality or most of our realities yeah, absolutely. And and I'm, you know, obviously working for a charity. I have a bit of say here and there in what we put out on our social media, um, for example, because I'm patient and public involvement manager. Sometimes we'll we'll put something out on social media about the different projects that we're being involved with. And and even I'm having to sort of think really carefully about, you know, how what is the the wording? And yeah, it's just trying to be very neutral about how we yeah how we talk about it because it's it's just so ingrained isn't it and I was reading a book and I think I mentioned this when we were kind of chatting and we were planning this uh, episode of the podcast but I read uh, a book by Susan Sontag called Illness Illness and Met Metaphor she wrote uh, it was back in the 80s she wrote AIDS and its metaphors and and she also wrote illness and metaphors um so obviously the the one about aids was all about the language used around aids and then the illnesses metaphor was around cancer and then also tb and it was really interesting because she was talking about how as you say all of these metaphors are used uh, to describe cancer and she was saying that there was also metaphors used to be used uh, and, and and different sort of language that didn't really fit to talk about TB and then kind of a cure came along for, for TB and it's like okay well now we, we understand the science behind this we know what it is we know how to tackle it how to treat it and the metaphors went away and in her book she kind of has this this hope at the end which is quite uplifting that if we can find out more about the science behind cancer and how we can we can treat it and, and demystify it because obviously cancer is a lot of different illnesses and you know there's there's a lot going on there but if we can demystify it and help people to understand it then maybe eventually the metaphors will go away which I thought yes absolutely absolutely I would love uh, for that to happen that would be great yeah it's, it's quite interesting actually because talking about campaigning I mean it's a bit, a bit of a side issue so a few cancer charities talk about the war on cancer. Now, I, I don't have much of a problem with that because that's not on an individual basis. And if that's what it takes right. to grab headlines and, and, and things and, and actually 
track people. I, I, I get that a bit. It's like the war on drugs or the war on alcohol, mm-hmm. or the war on poverty. I, mean, I, I get the use of that language in that context, but I'm talking more about you know, at an individual level, what, what's actually appropriate to the individual to use. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I think there's a difference there between between the two. Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Yeah, I definitely understand. Yeah, difference between kind of what we're when we're talking about kind of as a whole and, and more generally, and yeah, about the individual. And then the media also seems to go another way, and I, I guess we we all sort of go another way as, as society as well. So you have this kind of war and this battle language and lo- losing the fight and all that sort of stuff, and then we have this kind of like the word victim for example or sufferer or so and so is is suffering and that was something that came up recently in some something that I was looking at and I was thinking is the person suffering you know these this group of people that we're talking about have they said that they're they're suffering I mean they probably are but you know it, it just seems like a bit of a loaded word to put on to a person so victim and and suffering and and, and sufferer what what do, what's your take on that one yes i mean just going back to the battle thing it's usually a long battle which yeah. then implies that if, if you had a short battle maybe that was somehow um your 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 fault again but um the occasionally short battle is useful it's usually after a long battle but um the other word sufferer um I'm a bit more ambiguous about that because there's no doubt you do suffer if, yeah. at times. You feel you feel like you're you're suffering, but I think that's your word to use, not a word for other people to use about you and to use in a random sort of sense about everybody with cancer is a sufferer. It's about it's it's if that's the word you would choose to use, but it's not a word I like to be applied to me because again, it seems like it disempowers you and turns you just purely into somebody who's suffering, which you're not just that you know people with cancer have a whole life with the side helping of of cancer that, that at times dominates and other times doesn't dominate but we're people first and we should the language should always reflect that you know we're people with cancer we live with cancer we don't we aren't defined by our illness and using words like suffering tends to sort of define you as just purely a sufferer or a victim or whatever yeah my my thoughts exactly yeah took took the words right out of my mouth there and I'll have a little list in front of me of of other words and you mentioned journey earlier so should we go to to that next because my my kind of go-to neutral word at the moment is experience (laughs) which I don't know (laughs) if that's kind of underselling the uh the cancer experience is the only word I can think of to use um yeah, I don't know if that's putting it a little bit mildly, but journey. And again, I know that we, we've talked about this uh, before and we had similar ideas on on the connotations for the word journey as well. Yeah, well, as somebody who really enjoys traveling and journeys, this this if, it, if this is a journey, it's the worst journey <laughs> I've ever signed up for. And and I and actually it's much more like a hijacking than a journey. And I, and I, I just think that the language of a journey implies some sort of choice in the matter and some sort of, you know, you've decided to get on board something and then embark on something that's usually, and journeys are usually on the whole exciting, stimulating learning thing that you do for, for enjoyment or work or something. But to use that as a, as um, to conjure up um, the sort of feelings you have with cancer, it, 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 it really isn't, I don't think, a journey. It's, it's I think you're, use of the word experience is much more because you do experience it but also again you don't have a a separate cancer journey from your separate life journey and the two are intrinsically linked and again you shouldn't try and separate out the two i don't have a separate cancer journey that's that's separate from my normal life journey if if that's how so it's just life and that's how i I see it life with experiences yeah also to me a journey has an end and a destination and I I for me I don't really feel like cancer has an end and that will depend on people's different experiences uh, some people listening may know that I've had cancer three times and I have an ultra rare genetic condition that increases 
cancer risk so I'm constantly having to go for like several checkups every year in, in various ways to you know see if I've had a, a, another occurrence kind of somewhere else and I guess as well it will be different for people who perhaps had one instance of an early stage cancer and you know they've they've psychologically felt able to to move on from that compared to perhaps somebody with stage four and again yeah all the experiences are going to be very different but to me a journey as you say indicates something separate from your life which is weird and also yeah something that that ends and you know yeah the, depending on experiences that may or may not resonate yes that, and i agree with you but but also journey seems to imply that you have some sort of choice in the matter you could yeah. stop the car or you could you know change your plane and go somewhere else but actually you know cancer is what it is and it'll be whatever the outcome is will be whatever the outcome is down to luck whatever medicine whatever but it's largely out of your control i mean you can do what you can to stay healthy and stay fit so it's not entirely out of your control but large parts of it are out of your control and it's not a journey you can choose to stop so journey implies well i will choose not to go on holiday this year i will choose to go somewhere else i will choose to move hotel i will choose to do that you can't really do that with with cancer i don't think which is why i think it's unhelpful to use that word yeah and it sounds like kind of control and choice comes up quite a lot as well when we're kind of debunking these things because we have the journey as you say you can't you didn't choose to to go on this on a bit of a jolly basically is what it makes it sound like but then also just going back to the war language again that conjures up ideas of control because as you say it it kind of makes it sound like people can choose to fight or choose to fight as a certain amount and you know if they if they lose the battle then they didn't try hard enough and yeah again gives this illusion of of control and choice in in both ways but actually yeah that there is very little of, of that in my experience you're absolutely right and I, th- I think one of the things that may be why i feel strongly about it, and I, maybe other people don't but when you have cancer you lose a certain amount of control in your life because you don't know about how it's going to spread or if it's going to spread or treatments or, or whatever so the things you can control are things like language, about how you how you talk about it. Those are the sorts of things you can control. So when that control is taken away from you and other people use language that you feel is inappropriate, it's almost like you lost a bit of control over this, which is, I think, one of the reasons I feel so strongly about it is because, you know, having given up a lot of autonomy or giving up some autonomy and a lot of autonomy at times, you control what you can control. And one of the things you can control is how you describe your cancer and how you feel about your cancer and how you talk about your cancer so i think i think that's one of the reasons i feel quite strongly about this is because it is about control and i think most of people most people i know with cancer who speak about cancer like to control what they can control because some of the stuff just isn't controllable yeah totally um something that we spoke about earlier uh, made me think about this I just wanted to come back to about how the language that's used in the media affects how we feel about our bodies and I can't remember exactly what it was we were talking about even though it was was like 10 minutes ago it was like nothing but yes we, we were talking about how the media the language that the media uses and I was saying that I find it that I have to think actively sometimes as well about the language that I'm using even though I'm kind of like you know rallying against it anyway but when the media uses language that makes it sound like cancer is perhaps separate from us or or that we're fighting we're fighting our own bodies you mentioned and and yeah I had a bit of an experience quite a while ago now where I, I kind of realized that I was talking sort of internally to myself as if my body was the enemy and I had to kind of deprogram myself and, and and kind of straighten my thinking out, like, you know, my body is not the enemy. You know, one thing that's happening inside it uh, or that could happen inside it is is the enemy. And, yeah, it just made me think that the, the way that the media uses the language could perhaps also affect how we feel about our bodies as as well. 
No, I, I totally agree. I mean, the idea of going to war in your own body is, is a, a bizarre one. And I, I think um, what is quite interesting is that healthcare professionals don't tend to use this language either. I, I haven't had a healthcare professional say to me, oh, gosh, you're so strong, Simon, or, you know, well done. Though, um, actually, uh, the well done one was quite strange. My, 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 after my last scan, because I, I get scanned every three months, after my last scan, my consultant did say to me, got a clear scan well done and i was thinking <laughs> i had absolutely nothing to do with that clear scan well i mean i'll take the praise but really what did i have to do with it yeah that's a, that's a, quite a funny one i yeah. I, I think I, I would quite like that i would feel quite like oh i've done nothing but yeah as you say gonna take the praise anyway <laughs> yeah quite <laughs> like you've done well on an exam or something yeah exactly exactly but but Behind that is is a sort of a slight element that that, and I'm sure he didn't mean it like this. But there was a slight element that it could have gone the other way if I'd done something different. So somehow my behaviour must have been such that I was being rewarded for a clear scan, and I was thinking I've changed nothing, and I'm not consciously trying to you know I'm trying to be as healthy as I can. But that that's it. You know I'm not I'm not. There's nothing that that. Because I didn't act inappropriately when I had, I don't blame myself for having cancer either. I don't look back and think, oh, I did all that and then, therefore I got cancer. So, you know, w w if I'd got cancer, would, would somebody have said, or oh, you, you've been a bad boy? They wouldn't have done. So why, why praise me for not having it or for having a clear scan? Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking that your consultant wouldn't wouldn't say to you, like, oh, your scan's not clear. Tut, tut, <laughs> what, have you been, yeah. what have you been up to? <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Just thinking then, if we would like to the media to use kind of more neutral language, and we've talked about saying experience instead of journey, do you think that it's just about like ditching metaphors entirely and just, you know, speaking completely plainly? Do, what do you think that kind of a neutral language the media should be using? What do you think that, that might look like? So I, I think, I mean, uh, and some of the, some of the um, I mean, somebody actually produced a sort of uh, metaphor uh, dictionary for cancer, and which is quite easily available if people are interested in it. But I don't find metaphors helpful because I think they hide the truth, and I think they 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 they're useful in some forms of literature and they're useful in some forms of expression. But I just like living with cancer, lived with cancer, living with cancer, because that's what it is really. You're living. You have all the normal um, frustrations and aggravations and that you had before. You know, you still have to, you know, your Wi-Fi goes down, you have to try and fix it. You've still got bills to pay. You've still got all those other things to do. But so that's you and you've still got your family to look after if you have one or whatever. You still have all those things. But you have this side helping of cancer. So it's you plus cancer and the cancer doesn't define you at times it does because you have to go to hospital and you have to sit in you know fairly unpleasant waiting rooms sometimes and you have to have fairly horrible things done to you sometimes but it doesn't define you you're you're always living with it because you as a person with this this side helping of stuff that you didn't ask for and nobody would ever want but you have to deal with it and you have to cope with it but but intrinsically it's you plus this thing on the side so I always think um, living with cancer works for me because that's what I'm doing. I'm living with cancer. but And it doesn't define me as having cancer. It just means I'm Simon and I have cancer. I'm Simon, I wear glasses. I'm Simon, I like checking shirts. It's it's, yeah, it's a bit more serious than that. But, but you know what I mean? It doesn't define me. Yeah. What about then how we talk to each other or how how perhaps people talk to you about it moving away from the media a little bit and, and thinking about society or about you know just family and friends and loved ones and how we talk to each other are there things that you think like people say to you that you prefer them not to say or I mean I have from my my previous kind of list of of words I also have you're strong or you're kind of you're so inspirational sort of thing on on my list which meant with good intentions and um you know I I receive anything like that well be, because of that but again could be a little bit loaded 
Yes, it's 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 not. Yeah. So I think I think people who are really close to you who have who have been or or had or or been very privy to some of the experiences that you've had with cancer. So my wife, for example, has you know at some stages has had to be my carer, and sometimes I think it's been worse for her than than it has been for me. So when she talks to me about it. I think she has a huge amount of insight into it and a very different sort of insight to me, but she has a huge insight to it. And so whatever she said to me about it couldn't upset me. What what upsets me more, I think, is not people who you're really close to. It's sort of acquaintance or casual friends. And I, I it's things like, uh, I understand. No, you don't. You haven't got cancer. Uh, the scan, next scan will be okay. Uh, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Um you might get hit by a bus tomorrow, so don't worry. Well, yeah, I might do, but I don't. If you if you're worried about hitting by a bus, being hit by a bus tomorrow, you don't spend months of your life anguishing about it and get stressed every three months because you've got a scan, you've had lots of procedures. So you know, yeah. don't, don't use that sort of language. Uh, things like uh, you know, it happened this morning. I, w- I was I was out and someone said, "Oh, you look well," and I was thinking, "You know nothing about me." Don't. I mean, it's, I suppose it's meant as a compliment, but actually. How do you know? You know I've got cancer. Why, why are you telling me I look well? Is that some? Is that to provide me with some sort of reassurance that I'm not really very ill? Or what? 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 What, what does it mean? Um, you don't look ill. Well, what, what am I supposed to look like? Am I supposed to go around sort of, you know, looking? I don't know, looking like quote a survivor of some horrible incident, so so that I, you know, um, and then there's things like I really admire how you're coping. Well, I'm not you have to cope you, you you know there's there's you don't know if i burst into tears at four o'clock in the morning you don't know if i've got insomnia so how do you know i'm coping with this thing you don't know i just appear to be coping and um and and even some of the sort of the, mo- the most common sort of thing you get and this is this happens this is just part of our our, our way of talking to each other in, in english i think is it's very common is people ask you how you are now, usually they don't expect a response to that question, apart from all right, because people always say, you know, prior cancer, I used to say, people, how are you? And people go, I'm all right. But when you do have an illness, and cancer in my case, there are just times, I, it normally doesn't trigger me very much, but there have there been one or two times when people who I, who know I've had cancer, who know I've just come out of hospital or whatever, because my, my wife spoke to them, they go, how are you, Simon? And I'm going, and I just unload on them. And I, and I try very hard not to, but I, I have at times just said, well, it's actually bloody awful. I'm in real pain. I can't do this. I can't do that. And then they just look shocked that you've actually answered something they've asked you. And you've answered really <laughs> well, open. they did ask. <laughs> yeah, they did. Well, that's always my view. And then I go away feeling guilty and thinking, oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that shouldn't be on, on you to feel guilty for answering a question that I know, they because asked. It, but, but I think it's so much part of our normal discourse when we talk to people to say, how are you? And everybody goes, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Let's not be honest about this. Yeah. And then when you are honest about it, and it's only happened a couple of times, but I, I yeah, and I've regretted it afterwards because I thought, what, that person didn't deserve that. We're just trying to be nice to me. And, and, and all those comments I've, I've made are people trying to be nice to you, but not having the language and not having the understanding. And I, I'm sure I was equally guilty beforehand, uh, you know, before I had cancer about how I felt towards people with cancer. So, yeah, so that's a, that's a list of my sort of things that said to me that occasionally wind me up. Yeah, the how, how are you is a tricky one. I, I remember kind of I would I would go to work or wherever when I was having my kind of second and third a cancer diagnosis and, and going through everything and, and somebody would say how are you and I would think I don't really have the energy to go into how I am but also I don't really have the energy to lie <laughs> so no, I really just don't know how to answer this question at all no but and it's, and it's quite interesting even when you're in hospital after you know I've had two operations one was about 12 hours and one was about nine hours so fairly major stuff and you wake up the next day and there's some consultants surrounded by a gaggle of students and um, how are you mr bodice and i'm going what do you think i'm like <laughs> but I, I do as well think that i would rather have people say these things to me than not say anything because i i did send somebody a, a message about how i was having a, an upcoming operation and, and they they didn't reply and 
um, I sent them another message. I don't know, it must have been days or a couple of weeks later. And uh, and they replied and they said, oh, sorry, I didn't know what to say. And then, you know, time dragged on and it got too awkward to, to reply, which is like kind of fair enough. But also I would accept anything over silence. No, I, I totally agree with you. And, and, and what is far worse than, than the things I've described is people who avoid talking to you or who you've told and then ignore you or ignore the or ignore the, the the topic. And I think that's why I feel guilty when I sometimes have said, well, actually, this is how it is. And then uh, and I can think of one example where that person just avoids me now because I and I, I don't think it's because of me. I think they just don't know what to say. And I was too honest and too. So it's my fault in, in some ways because I was just too honest and a bit brutal about how it really was. And because it was just a bad day, I suppose. But yeah, yeah so I, I totally agree with you. I would rather have these platitudes, which lift you, at least give you a basis for human contact and, and a conversation, than than avoidance, which is just makes you feel really bad because you're being avoided for something that you can't control. It's not as if you know it's antisocial behaviour on my part. It's it's something antisocial has happened to me, and so you know it's not my fault. So don't don't. I would much rather people spoke to me about it. But I do notice a lot of people avoid it because they don't know the language. They don't know how to talk to you about it and then get a bit shocked if you get real about it. Yeah. What about, and this just occurred to me, uh, positivity, perhaps toxic positivity. Um, I just noticed on my my notes I wrote down, everything happens for a reason, which, again, some people believe if somebody said that to me about my cancer I wouldn't be too happy about it uh, but yeah so I was thinking about that and also toxic positivity you know just stay positive and you know things will be all right yeah um which which, which um <laughs> uh, yeah I mean it, it's 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 sort of a great mantra and of course we should all stay positive because I'm sure that's probably good for us but mm. it's not always possible and um Maybe it's not always desirable either, because sometimes by by staying relentlessly positive, you're denying reality. Um, I've never tried to be relentlessly positive because it's not my nature, but 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 it's 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 um, I, th- I think it's covering the truth if you if you just re- you try and be positive all the time about it. You know, and people say, "I'll oh, take one day at a time." Well, there have been times in my cancer experience when it's been the last the next minute that I I want to get through because it's been so awful isn't it I'm taking a day at a time it's taking a minute at a time and it it, it depends but that's my choice to do that you know and um so yeah so yeah I mean toxic positivity is quite an interesting way of, of of framing it and um and again I think people mean well you know but again it's a bit it's a bit victim blaming because if you're not positive then somehow you're letting yourself down or letting people around you down or somehow and it's not possible to be positive all the time you know you can you can you can try to be and i think i think certainly for me and i think other people with cancer we, we try and be positive about the future but that's very different from being day-to-day you know seizing your day every day and being really positive because some days are literally so awful that you can't feel positive about it and you are allowed to have a cry you are allowed to feel depressed you are allowed to feel sad you are allowed to feel that it's unfair but then you carry on but that's just part of life you know there are things that happened to me before I had cancer that made me feel like that cancer is just just another thing that that affects you like that yeah it's another example of of that illusion of control really isn't it yeah yeah absolutely Absolutely. Yeah, stay and positive I, and, and yeah, can, you can control yeah, it. And I, but, uh, but I think we all probably do it because I think um, without calling it that, so for example, I don't talk about my cancer to my wife every single day because what would be the point? It would just be a miserable conversation every day. So we largely don't talk about it. And when we do talk about it, it's because one of us feels we should talk about it because something's coming up or it's been some diagnosis or something. But we don't. I don't feel the need to to constantly talk about it. Uh, I don't want to give the impression that 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 there's a. It's good to. I mean, maybe for some people it's constantly good to talk about it. I don't find it helpful to talk about. And in fact, 
despite the fact that I hate the way the media covers a lot of this, I tend not to read stories about cancer because I find them quite triggering. I find them quite, you know, they bring back horrible memories. So I do tend to avoid them as well. But, but then when they use the language they do use, it just infuriates me. So that the whole thing becomes, <laughs> which in some ways is quite positive because I get angry about something else. Then. So, so it, in some ways it's a bit of a virtual circle in that extent. But, but I, you know, I do, I don't know what, what other people do, but I tend to avoid reading about cancer when it's other people's, when it's stories of cancer, because I don't, I don't like it and it, it affects me. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it can affect me too. And I've spoken about this on the podcast before for, for people who've listened to previous episodes, but the dangers of Googling, which I, I know Googling kind of your symptoms and things, things like that is, uh, yeah, very dangerous territory anyway. But if I'm, if I want to research something or if I want to look at other people's stories because of something that's going on in in my life I think sometimes I might read something and think oh yeah that's really helpful it's uh, I can empathize with that that resonates with me or this particular part makes me feel quite positive if I'm worried about something um, that might happen to me but then I might read further and then end up down this rabbit hole and I really need to think about just it's just a way of implementing self-care for myself and being mindful and just constantly checking in with I'm still sat here reading this is this still okay is this still making me feel okay or you know is this going to send me spiraling into despair basically so yeah I think that there's, there's definitely kind of elements of of self-care when when reading about other people's stories there is a, and it's quite interesting in fact it happened to me today so I, I was I, I had a meeting and I was I was on a train and I was I was reading a book and it was just, just a, a, a very rubbishy thriller. But suddenly one of the characters starts dying of cancer. And I just then skipped 10 pages. I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to read about this. I don't want to hear about it. It's probably not accurate anyway, because the rest of the book is a bit inaccurate anyway. But I, I just thought, I just don't want to read about this. I don't want to hear about this because it just upsets me. So I get quite vigilant about cancer stories and and, and things and, and reading about cancer. Um so yeah, so so I, I do avoid those things, or I do what you've just suggested because sometimes it's very difficult to avoid Doctor Google, isn't it? And yeah. you, you you look at symptoms and you look at treatments and you you look at and sometimes that actually can be useful, but the thing I mean I went down a real rabbit hole of looking for sort of future prognosis and all that sort of thing, and I think that's probably not unique. I'm not unique in that because doctors won't tell you. And understandably, I think, why they won't tell you. So you, you do that and then you really go down a sort of trying to interpret sort of very difficult stats that then you realise they're 20 years old and all those sorts of things. And so you, you just, I've learned not to do that. But I think I think it would almost be helpful to be told not to do that. And because it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's almost a way to becoming mad, isn't it? If you just go down, you just search and search and search. And actually what you're looking for is the positive answer and yeah probably, you probably maybe not find that you're just going to find a load of scary stories yeah if, if you do find something vaguely positive then find it take it and then then stop <laughs> just exactly. cut yourself it's a bit like um like gambling I guess like quit quit while you're ahead sort of thing. yes exactly yeah. <laughs> and yeah just just thinking about kind of the stories in books and, and also in movies and things I haven't watched the second Deadpool I haven't watched because I, I watched the first one I enjoyed it I enjoy Ryan Reynolds but um my partner went to see the second one at the cinema and he said it's very cancery don't see it I'm like okay fine thank you <laughs> it's actually uh quite a good website called uh I think it's called does the dog die.com and it I guess it was originally to uh, warn you if a dog dies in a movie so you can search for the the movie title or the, the tv title in their little search bar and I, I guess it initially used to just tell you does the dog die I guess but now it tells you all sorts of stuff it tells you if a character uh, experiences a whole range of, of, of different traumatic events and yeah cancer is one of them so if you do need to like oh yeah quite fancy watching this but is it going to be cancer you can do a, a, a quick look on does the dog die.com and, and it will tell you which how yeah, interesting I mean, <laughs> yeah no very useful i mean the, there's there's a whole series of films that that i i just won't watch but that that because 
the counter narrative as the media presenter that actually makes a very good narrative for for a film so from love story onwards and perhaps before love story there's a whole series of sort of rom-com relationship films where usually the heroine has some mysterious illness probably cancer and will probably die but is battling and is still in love and the whole, it weaves in a whole subplot around that as well and it's and I just can't watch that sort of stuff but it is quite a Hollywood staple it's not it's not but it's all, it's unrealistic as well because they, they always look very pretty they've always got perfect bodies and they know you never see any of the unpleasantness associated with having cancer apart from maybe your discreet chucking up moment you know it, it's just it's not real and it just candy flosses it as if yeah it's just some little irritant yeah what about any positive stuff in the media then for example celebrities who might be in the media quite prominently because they've had a cancer experience and maybe they're like raising awareness in a positive way and, and showing their journey and, and that sort of thing yeah it's 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 a really interesting one because I, I i think there are sort of two categories of people who might be termed celebrities who who have cancer there are people who are celebrities already so you know famous singer blah 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 but actor who then their diagnosis becomes public and if they so i don't know whether they decide to make it public or whoever it so becomes public um that's one type of celebrity there's a smaller group of people who become well known because of cancer so um people like deborah james for example mm. I, I'd never heard of her till she had bowel cancer. And and I think her podcast she did um, with, with the other two women was astonishingly brave and open about what it's like to have cancer and, and how real it is. What I didn't like, and I suspect she had no say in the narrative, and but maybe she found this language helpful, is that the papers went back to talking about battle and fight and, and, and those sorts of things, which was not a language that was at all used in her podcast at all about cancer so i don't believe she used that language well maybe she did in episodes i missed but but she didn't use that language nor nor did the people she was making the podcast with so i think the podcast did a great job about awareness and i, th I think there are there are some campaigns you know like warnings on toilet paper now about symptoms for bowel cancer i mean that's great stuff you know and presumably the same happened with tobacco but the, the warnings on back on what what illnesses that that can cause so i i can see that 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 when it's talked about really and it's talked about how what it really means to people it's really helpful to get well-known people who have a voice who can say it but then to have that voice diluted and then turned into metaphors and turned into something very simplistic just again i think I, I don't know whether people have that choice when when that language is used about them. I suspect not because it's not the language they use when they're when they're talking about their illness. I find that really unhelpful again, and I find it demeaning to them unless they've had that choice, unless they've wanted to use that language, because it's really not helpful to us. And it doesn't talk about the reality. They talk about the reality, but then somehow it's dressed up as something else. That oh, you look very pretty in this dress, and that, oh. But it's not about that. It's it's something deeper than that. So yeah, so I've I've got very mixed views about it. I think when when people who are celebrities are allowed to talk very openly about it and the realism of it, I think that's great because I think that's proper campaigning. I don't think it's campaigning just to say, oh look at her or look at him having a marvelous battle with cancer. That just isn't helpful for anybody. As far as I'm concerned, other people might find it helpful. I don't. It almost sounds like people with cancer and the media are speaking two different languages because what you said there almost sounds like the media is kind of seeing this information that people with cancer are putting out there and then translating it into a uh, newspaper ease or something uh yeah it's, it's as if we're speaking two different languages I, yeah i mean I, I i always think it's it's just lazy journalism because it's like a metaphor you can just reach for and it's used so often and it's usually used in the headline as well. So it's just an instinctive reaction. Someone's got cancer or someone's got a serious illness. Let's use the word battle because that shows how strong and powerful they are. And that they're, and they're, and I think if I'm being charitable, it's, it's also to describe, well, this is really quite important because they're having to battle. So you, you only have 
wars and battles when it's something really important and something. Mm. So that's my charitable interpretation of it. But 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 it's I think it's very bad and unhelpful shortcut to how what it's really like. And, and like I said, I don't I think it undermines a lot of us who have got cancer who feel well, it's not really like that. Why don't you re- why don't you report what the truth is, what it's really like? Without being over graphic and without you know without you know wanting to wallow in misery, but just just what it's like to live with cancer. Just report it. Yeah, and if Deborah James had been on her podcast and she was using like battle language, and then the media was using it because she used it, do you think that that would that then kind of would it be okay? to use battle language in that instance do you think because they're kind of going off of how the person themselves is describing their own experience um yeah i think i well i'd have mixed views because I, I, like i've said i think people are entitled to use whatever language they want about their illness and because it's their illness and if that helps then they're perfectly entitled to use whatever language idea i mean i don't think she did but if she did use that language then i'd, I'd like to see it as a quote rather than translated into all cancer is a battle yeah which is what invariably happens so you know but like I said people are perfectly entitled to use whatever language they want yeah no I I, I totally agree and sort of as I said at the top if if using battle language and and that sort of thing helps people to describe their their own um experience in and feel empowered and, and strong and that, and that sort of thing and then that's helpful I think as I say I think that's great but for the media I think that there is a responsibility for reporting something in the way that, that it, it is, you know, the the realities of it, as, as you say. Um, and then, yeah, there's lots of different sort of metaphors for it. And I know because I'm I'm a, a poet and I'm doing my, my PhD and sort of exploring my cancer experiences through poetry. I use all sorts of, of, of languages, uh, uh, sort of metaphors, I think that. I look at anything in the room and I think if that's a metaphor for cancer, <laughs> look at a tree. That's definitely a metaphor for cancer yeah. in, in three different ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and yeah, I fully agree that everybody uh, should, should feel empowered and able to talk about their experiences in, in their own way. For, for sure. I think that's perhaps our headline for this episode. I think we'll, wrap up then I just actually had two more questions for you actually one of them is a little bit off off topic but it's something that that I thought of before we were chatting and because you are the CEO of a charity that uh, is for giving people with lived experience of the criminal justice system a voice and there's a lot of kind of stigma around like the the cancer language and and a, a lot of things to talk about about cancer I just wondered if is there any kind of crossover because I'm imagining these are both two very difficult things to talk about so is language something that you think about in in other areas as well do you think about that with your charity yeah and actually not not so much with the charity but but I, I was 30 senior in, in the prison and probation service and language there and, and pe- people people sometimes dismiss this as sort of you know wokeness or political correctness but but the, the the language that's used about people who have offended has moved through the years i have railed against some of the language at times and definitely used so we used to call people convicts we used to call them uh inmates we used to call them prisoners which is probably you know this is people people who are in prison so we used to we used to use those words but those are labeling words which is partly what i'm i'm talking about now the language has moved far more now so what the the prison and probation service talk about people in prison people on probation and it's the same as the way i think about people with cancer i'm living with cancer people in prison are people first and they're in prison they're people first and then they're on probation so they're not defined and they're not labelled as an, just an offender because everybody's more than just an offender. They've got something else there, you know, no matter how horrendous their offence might be or whatever. But that that they are the people who have done something. So the people first, and that gives you a, um, maybe a way of working with people. And um, this is a very different context, criminal justice system. But I think 
it, the language is important rather than just labeling people uh, in a certain way, um, which I would hate if someone just said, well, you're cancerous. I would hate that. Ooh. Yeah, and, and well, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, it's just it's just an awful word to use because that's just some trying to sum up everybody in one word. Yeah, Whereas God. Lived experience or or people with people in prison or you know living with cancer just makes it makes people a bit realer and it's a bit kinder. And actually, it's not just about being kind, but it actually gives you an opportunity to then start dealing with people as people and trying to identify what the issues might be. So yes, so the language has changed and it's evolved over the years I've been involved in it. And I've I try and be I, I used to, if I'm being very honest, used to think this was a meaningless discussion. Twenty years ago I thought this was all meaningless. What does it matter? But as you as, as I've as I've been sort of in that system for a long time and, and I think it's reflecting some of my thoughts about about cancer, language does really matter. It matters to you as an individual, it matters how people perceive you, it matters how people view you, it matters how the whole media view you as a person and that therefore affects your future if that makes sense yeah and that might be a good place to to end because my last question was going to be uh what one takeaway would you like people listening to to go away with so is there anything else you would like to add as your kind of final thoughts for this well i, I suppose perhaps there are, there are two types of people listening and that's people who have cancer and Clearly, the message I think from both of us is use whatever language you want about your illness because yeah. that is your right. And so that that would be my message there. And, and nothing, hopefully, that we've discussed about has been at all upsetting to people who feel who want to use the language we've been talking about. And just because I find it upsetting doesn't mean other people can't use it. But the second audience is people that have no direct contact with cancer is just think about the language you use and think how it might impact on people with cancer. And even when it's done with the best intentions in the world, just think what the use of metaphors were, are what, what some of the language means and just, just think about it. And that, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't have difficult conversations with people about it because it is sometimes quite difficult to talk about it, but just, just be aware and don't be lazy about, about thinking, um, or you, what language you do use with people. Is that a good summing up? <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Fantastic. Simon, it's been really lovely talking to you about this today. Thanks so much for coming on. No, it's been great. Oh, thank you, Sam. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Can I Button? This podcast was brought to you by Bowel Research UK. Find out more about the charity, our work, and how you can get involved. Visit bowelresearchuk.org where you can join our People and Research Together network or part, read about our research campaigns and fundraising, or make a donation to support the vital work we do. Let's end bowel cancer and bowel disease.